Thank you for that. I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be today as we continue this series on, grad, or on the forgotten virtues and how the Bible speaks into our lives, how we can daily live out these virtues in our life. So this morning I want to read to you and I want you to follow along with me from Luke's gospel. I would ask you, if you would, while you're turning there, to stand in uh, observance and respect and honoring of God's word this morning from Luke chapter 17. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be on the screen for you this morning as well. Luke 17, begin reading with verse number 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to, praise, to give God praise except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In our home, one saying that I find myself repeating occasionally is just a simple reminder to our family, please and thank you go a long way in this home. Please and thank you go a long way in this home. What I'm saying in saying this phrase is I'm reminding those that are in my care that manners and gratitude mean something. Nothing seems to irk me more. Nothing seems to kind of get under my skin more than someone who just fails to be grateful. And it's not that we're looking for some praise or some adoration for all that we do or for things that we do, even little or sometimes big things, but sometimes there's people in this world that just forget to say thank you. You know, sometimes the, the thank you card has been something that, in, at least in, in my life, I, I fail to write as many thank yous as I need to. Some of you are so good at writing thank you cards, and sometimes you get into this back and forth chain of you give a gift and you get a thank you card, and so you feel like you need to send a thank you card for the thank you card, and then you just keep going back and forth and back and forth. You know what I'm talking about. But for, for many of us, the thank you card has kind of gone by the wayside a little bit. But the simple gesture of saying thank you can still have meaning. As has already been done today, I want to take a moment today and just express my gratitude for those that have paid the ultimate price, those men and women that put on the uniform of our armed services but were not able to take that uniform off. They paid the ultimate price. They died serving our country so that we could have the freedoms we have today. I want to thank you 
for your willingness to serve and for your sacrifice. You know, when I think about those that have served in the military, it was one of, one of my what-ifs in life, and I'm not going to share that story with you today, but I do believe this. Nobody signs up for that job or that position because they feel like the country owes them something. Every soldier that I've ever talked with, that I've ever had a moment to interact with, has never had an attitude of entitlement, but rather the opposite. The attitude or virtue of entitlement is opposite of the virtue that I believe that God wants us to talk about today, and that is the, adi- the virtue of gratitude. As we look at God's Word today, we can unpack this virtue as we strive to, to grow and to walk in a closer walk with the Lord and to put this virtue into practice every single day. You see, as we look at this scripture a little bit more and we unpack it a little bit more, there's a lot more going on in this passage than we probably realize. We see that 10 men are out and they're out on the edge of town as Jesus is coming into town, which is customary for those with this disease, leprosy. They were outcasts. They were put outside because they were unclean. The, the Old Testament, I love the Old Testament because it, it tells us what's coming. And then the New Testament fulfills what the Old Testament was speaking about. And we, sometimes we forget to realize that those two marry one another. We've got to have both. Amen? So in Leviticus 13, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the, the law for those that had this disease, were they were put on the outskirts. And one of the things that they were required to do is that if anybody who was clean was approaching them, they had to stop them and they had to announce to them, unclean, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine if we implemented that today? Where we had all of our teenage boys that were ripe had to come up to them and you're like, stinky, stinky, stinky. You know what I'm talking about, right? If you're a parent or grandparent, you know what I'm talking about. But this is a little bit more serious. This is a a disease that there was open sores on their bodies. The Bible tells us that it was a disease that that forced these people to the outside in their own little community. They They were there not by themselves, but they were there with others who had the same disease. Boy, it'd be nice if we could just stick people in little cubbies of their problems, right? We'd know exactly what their problem was. The reality is we all have problems, though, isn't it, you know? They're outcasts, though. They have leprosy. They're a separate part. And this disease was a flesh-eating disorder. It was oozing open sores. It was, it was gross. It was just, it was, it was nasty. It was, it was so bad that there was, there's, as people have studied this disease, most likely because of their lack of treatment for these sores. And I, I will warn you, this, this may be a little gross and graphic, but commentators of this scripture, and they tell us and remind us of how bad this disease was, is these people would be sleeping overnight, and the open sores were there that the animals would come and eat them. I mean, you could wake up one morning and your finger was gone because some, somebody had eaten some animal, or it was just gross. 
It, and there's, there's almost like there's no hope. These, these people are out on the outskirts and they, they haven't had contact with somebody who's well. It's been years. I don't know if some of you are, are, are huggers. Anybody a hugger in here? A few of you. Can you imagine going years without having a hug or a handshake? Having somebody come near you that you know cares about you and loves you, but they can't touch you. There's just something about physical touch that makes a difference. As we see the story continue in in verses 14 to 18, Jesus approaches them and we'll notice that they don't announce themselves to Jesus. They don't announce to Jesus that they're unclean. There's so many different reasons that we could unpack there, and that's not the point of this, but I really believe it's because they knew who he was, and they knew he knew who they were. You see, they knew Jesus cared about them. And they're, they're asking Jesus to do something. They're calling out to him, Jesus, have pity on us. Have pity on us. And Jesus tells them just one simple instruction. He says to them, go to the priests and show yourself to the priests. That's all he says to them. And as we read that text again and we we talk about it and we study it, we see that as soon as they obeyed, as soon as they left the presence of Jesus and began to go to the priests. Now, we don't know exactly if this is the case, but what for teaching's sake, let's, let's unpack this for a minute. We, we tend to judge people's intentions along with their actions or, or, or inaction sometimes. I believe here that Jesus was giving them the benefit of the doubt. He was having pity on them. And he said to them, go to the priest. But you've got to remember they're outside of town. So now they've got to walk into town, try to get to to the place of worship where the priests are. They had to try to get into all of these people that would have been there, and yet they're unclean. They're not allowed to be in there. But they set off to go, and I believe their intentions are what Jesus was looking at. Their heart and not their outward appearance. And as they went, knowing they're going to face hurdles and getting to where they need to go, Jesus, the power of God, was released over their lives. And as soon as they said, you know what, I'm going there. I don't care what anybody has to say. Jesus told me to. I'm going to go. And they start to go. They're instantly healed. That's the power of God, folks. They're instantly healed. So I can imagine as they're coming into town, the 10 of them are together. They've been together all this time. And then all of a sudden, one of them looks down and says, wait a minute. There's something different about me today. I don't have blood running down my skin. I don't have this this pus just oozing out of me. I look normal. Wow. It changed their life. And I can imagine he's just, he's, he's walking along and he's like, wait a minute, I'm already healed. I don't need to go to the priest. I need to go back to the person who did this. And we see in the story that he runs back, he runs back to Jesus and begins to be grateful. Jesus sees him coming and he says to him, were not all 10 of you healed? So I read this over and over this week as I was preparing this message, and I thought, you know what? What is Jesus asking here? Is Jesus, could Jesus be 
questioning his own power. Wait a minute, I thought there were 10. I told you all 10 to go. My power is big enough to heal all of you, yet only one of you has come back. What happened to the other nine? But really, Jesus isn't questioning his, his power. He's wondering where this virtue of gratitude has gone. No, he's not questioning their power. He realizes they were ungrateful. So my question for us today is very simple. Will you be the one? Will you be the one? How do we live out this virtue and be the one? One way that we must evaluate and then examine if we give enough gratitude to God is by our daily actions. Daily, are you giving praise to God? Daily, are you thanking Him that you woke up for another day? Do you ever stop in the busyness of life and maybe write that thank you note? Maybe if we're honest today, we have to admit that we think that at times we're, we're probably okay in this virtue. We say please and thank you. We mind our manners or we mind our P's and Q's. Somebody tell me afterwards why, why our grandparents and parents said P's and Q's. I don't know what that is. Um, somebody educate me on that after service, okay? But when we do that, we think, you know what? I'm okay in this. I, don't, I can probably go to sleep on pastor today. I'm, I'm good. I, I'm good here. But I want us to, to really be honest with ourselves today. I want us to take a little survey to be honest and real, transparent with ourselves. Are we continuing to live with an ungrateful mindset? We need to talk about two different thoughts when it comes to ungrateful mindsets. Even phrases, if you will, that we may say or we may feel as we talk about having an ungrateful mindset. So let's, let's talk about the negative first, and we're going to end on the positive, okay? But here's the deal. we got to evaluate if we have an ungrateful mindset. Have you ever said this phrase, I want it now? Everybody say this with me. I want it now. Now everybody's in the same boat. We've all said it, okay? I want it now. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever... Live that out. Have you ever said those things? Maybe you're sitting after you've been through the drive-thru because we can't go inside to McDonald's yet, but you've been through the drive-thru and they tell you, can you go wait in stall number two? Like, no, I can't wait in stall number two. This is fast food. Give me my burger. What's the problem? I want it now. And we don't realize, we forget this idea that if I were to go home and do the same thing. If I were to go grill this hamburger at home, put all the fixings together, do all of these things, there's no way I'm getting this done in three minutes. Yet we get ungrateful. And we say, I want it now. I want it right now. And then they tell you, go wait and stall too. And I've been there. I don't have time for this. And lately, you know... God gives me these messages sometimes, and I think, God, why are you doing this to me? He says, BJ, you got to get this. They just get to listen in to you. But we've been there, haven't we? I want it now. Scripture tells us another example of this in Luke's gospel. If you go backwards in, in Luke's gospel to chapter 15, we see this story. Luke 15, 11, and 12, here's the first part of it. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me 
my share of the estate. Now, I'll tell you this much. My, my dad's a pastor, so he's not some, he's not some glorified millionaire that I'm going to inherit all this money, okay? But there's been times where I've thought, you know what? Things are kind of tight. I'm going to just call my dad up and say, Dad, I want it now. Would you empty out your retirement? I want it now. I've been tempted, I'll be honest, to say, Dad, what can I get now? And, and maybe there's a, you give the rest to, to Brady, it's okay, I'll just take it now, what you have now, and he can have the rest. And what we fail to realize is that this son in, in the gospel here, he is being so ungrateful and so greedy and so selfish, he goes to his dad and he says, I want my share now, this is mine, I'm inheriting this. You're still alive. Talk about disrespect. Talk about not honoring what we talked about a couple weeks ago. And he says to him, give it to me now. And we fail to realize this father had established, had earned, had grown this inheritance, this estate. And it took years for this to happen. And as you go and read this story about the, the prodigal son, you see that it took the son weeks, maybe months to squander it all. To lose it all. You know, sometimes we have the same kind of mindset in our lives. We think about the lifestyle that our parents had. And sometimes Pastor Greg and I talk about this a lot because we were both raised in, in good homes and we're thankful for that. And we're, we're grateful for that. But we always want to set our kids up better than we had, right? And, and I think about that in my own life. I want my kids to do better than I did. I want them to have more than I did, not because they deserve it or because I want them to feel entitled, but I want to do that for me. I want to bless them. And yet sometimes we get, it starts to creep in these seeds of ungratefulness and this mindset of entitlement. And we realize we want to be like, I want to have the, the home that my parents have and the nice things that my parents had. And I move out of the house and I think, wait a minute, I don't have a couch to sit on. I had a couch at home. Now I got my own home. How'd they get this couch? They worked for it. They used their hard-earned money to buy it. Or they went down to the, the local second-hand store and, and got something cheap till they could get something better. And we realize we want the, the status, we want the, the same level, and yet we, re, we forget and we're ungrateful for all that took place to prepare for that. You know, whatever happened to the idea of saving before you buy something? Or only spending money that you have on things that you want or need? Whatever happened to that, that mentality? I've I got to be honest for a moment, if I can, that, and be transparent with you. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this right now because I made a really bad financial decision. I traded in my laptop for this nice new computer I can take with me. And I thought, this will just do it all. I can preach from it. I can work from it. I can do everything I need. And plus, it's less desk-based. It'll be great. So I did everything I needed to do. I had the money for it. I, I, I made the transaction. I traded it in. I did all of this thing. And then I'm about a month or two into it now. And I'm just like, I really want my computer back. 
but I don't have the money for it right now. And so I sit there, I catch myself at times when I have downtime thinking, hmm, how can I get this now? I want it now. I need it tomorrow. When I go to work, I want to have this. And I can't have it. Instead, I have to learn, okay, well, if I save this much every week for my paycheck, I could have it in two years. You know, we'll get there. No, but we got to think differently. We got to we got to train ourselves to think differently because we have this mentality of, I want it now. If we've ever said that or we think it or we have those emotions go through our mind, then we may have an ungrateful mindset. Another ungrateful mindset warning is this when we say this, I deserve more. Everybody say this with me. I deserve more. See, we've all been there now, okay? We're all in the same boat. I deserve more. I've earned it. I've worked hard for it. I I go to the extra mile all the time. I deserve this. You know, it's, it's one of those things that we go through life and we work a job and we think, you know what? I want that computer now. I deserve this. I'll figure out a way to pay for it later, but I deserve this now. I deserve more. I deserve more. This same story, Luke 15 29, different brother. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. (laughs) He got it backwards. I didn't leave. I didn't dishonor you by requesting your estate. I stayed here. I kept working. I kept doing everything. And now that this guy's come back because he realized he messed up, We're going to celebrate and honor him, and you haven't even given me a small party. I deserve more. I deserve more. Somebody owes me something. Have you ever thought, wow, I deserve to get a raise this year? I've worked longer and harder for it. I deserve to have that benefit at work that everybody else seems to be getting, but I don't. I deserve this better. I deserve a better car, a better house. I deserve nicer clothes, nicer things. Or I deserve to have better relationships because I put in the extra effort. I deserve more. I've prayed about this illustration, but I'm going to share it anyway. We have four wonderful children. And sometimes you set out to do for your children to bless them. And one of the things we did as as Ian got older, and he's the first one, so we're doing new things with him that we'd never done before. And you all know that. I've had multiple kids. You know that. The the oldest, it's a kind of a test, test run, just the way it is. I was the oldest child. I know that. And so we told them from day one, we thought we had this figured out. We told Ian, and we had all the other kids around us who said, just because Ian is 13 and he's getting a cell phone doesn't mean when you're 13 you get a cell phone. That's not how this works. He needs one now because of what his life is, and we need to reach him when he's not with us, yada, yada, all those rationale. So he's getting one. So Emma turns 13. What do you want for your birthday? Well, I want a cell phone. Elliot turns 13. What do you want for your birthday? I want a cell phone. No, 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 no. Especially Elliot. He's the youngest. It's like anywhere you're at, somebody's got a phone. You don't need a phone. You're probably with your siblings who have a phone. Why do you need a phone? 
We'd go to the store. Dad, my birthday's in 10 days. You got that phone picked out? We went into Walmart. I said, yeah, come with me. Let's go back to electronics. We'll get you your phone. We went to the display case, picked out the $29. I got to be careful what word I use here. Not smartphone. Um, said, here you go. This is all you need. No, they got it. I deserve it too. We've set them up. But maybe we've been there too. You know what? I, I remember growing up in Nebraska, and, and one of the things when I turned 16, my parents didn't have money to, to buy me this nice new car. And notice I said new. I had friends that their, their, their dads must have been car dealers. I don't know what the deal was. But we drive into that school parking lot, and I'm not kidding you, there was brand new car after brand new car after brand new car. And what they would do is they'd go and they, these 16-year-old kids would go and park these brand new cars on the back row of the lot. And then they would walk to school. They, you know, they were, nothing's going to happen to this brand new car. I got to respect them. They were giving respect to their nice things and they were trying to take care of it. So my first car, I was going to get a picture for it. I didn't. It was a 1966 Dodge Coronet. And it wasn't the fun, souped-up, two-door racing Coronet. It was the four-door sedan, okay? Blue book value when I got that car was $800, okay? I got a deal. I paid $600 for it. And I had to make payments on $600. Anyway, you know what I did with that car? Parked it right smack dab in the middle of those brand-new cars. I started driving my sister to school. She hated this. Those brand new cars sitting back there, all the cool kids, and I'd pull up in this big old boat, park it right back, smack dab in the middle, and then I'd walk to class holding my backpack. Yep. She would just do this. Why they think they deserve more. Deserve more. We get more. I'm worth it. I'm valuable. I deserve more. So let's take... I've shared some personal stories with you. I want you to be reflective in this moment. Let's expose any ungratefulness that we may have in our life today. If you're taking notes and you have an outline there, we want to expose some of these areas that we could be ungrateful in. So here's the deal. There's three different areas that I've listed there for you. We're going to expose this. If you have had any sense of ungratefulness in your life, in the area of material and financial resources. Maybe you feel like you need a better car, a nicer home, a bigger home, more clothes. You woke up this morning, you went to your closet, your closet was brimmed full of clothes and you looked at your spouse and you said, I have nothing to wear. (laughs) Maybe you have ungratefulness in material. I had the privilege today of choosing between three different pairs of brown shoes. I am spoiled. But have we ever had that idea that materially, financially, I want it now. I deserve more. If that's you, I want you to put a check mark by it. Own it. Claim it. 
God, I need your help with this. I am this. Big X, bold. Do it two or three times. Put a hole in your paper. Whatever it takes. The second area, relational. Parents wish their kids were better kids. Kids wish their parents were better parents. I've heard this this week as well. Dad, why are you doing this to us? Nobody else is doing this. I said, that's exactly right. We love you. (laughs) Well, if my spouse was just like them or my kids were like them or if, if my wife or husband could do this like they can and we start to look across the fence and we dishonor one another relationally. We're not thankful for what we have. Maybe we're ungrateful relationally. We can put an X there. Have you ever said, boy, if you were just twice the man that that pastor was? Don't say that. Don't say that. Put a big X there. Bold it. Own it. Yeah. My situation causes me to be ungrateful at times in this area. The third area is this, circumstantial. You've been there before. Man, I've worked so hard at this job. Why didn't I get that promotion? Man, I've put in all this extra time studying. Why didn't I get that grade? Oh, I just can't understand why there's not enough money for us this month to pay the bills in this house. Why do we have to live in a two-bedroom when we really need a four-bedroom? Why is it that our circumstances, we never catch the breaks? The person down the street seems to get so lucky. Why can't we have those breaks? We deserve it. If God loves us, I deserve it. I deserve my circumstances to be smooth sailing. I want to tell you something. This is free. Nowhere in the Bible does it say just because you're a Christian, your circumstances will be good. In fact, I think, hold on a minute, I'm going to get on a, I'm going to preach now. I believe the Bible tells us that when we become Christians and start following Christ, we're actually called and invited into suffering more than we are when we're not a Christian. Why is that? Because God says, I want to help you. I want to help your circumstances. I want to help your relationships. I want to help you so much so that when you're coming into this, it doesn't mean that it's going to be all sunshine and roses. The Bible says the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. I haven't met too many Christians that have won the lottery. But boy, couldn't God use that money? You know what I'm saying? That's just one example. But it happens. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. It's not about our circumstances. So where have you been ungrateful? Check one of those boxes. Own it. Claim it. Repent of it. Ask God to help us. For the rest of our time today, I want us to try to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. How do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. We have to decide to turn our blessings into praise. We have to decide to turn our blessings into praise. Two phrases that we need to know right here. First one is this. Every blessing you pour out, I will turn back to praise. 
It's a great song. It's, it's, it's a great song, and it's, it's a great reminder. We've sang it here many times. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And we sing that song, and, and I love that song because I'm able to be reminded, God, I didn't give you praise here, and I'm sorry. Or God, I'm so thankful that you've blessed me in this moment. Let me just give you praise and thanks for who you are and what you're doing. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Why is it so important that we turn every blessing back to praise? Praise is our way of saying thank you to God. Why is it so important? It's important because if we want to be the one that comes back to give God praise, every blessing I don't turn to praise can turn into pride. Every blessing I don't turn to praise turns into pride. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 4. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned that the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, why does Paul write this? And we, we probably, if I didn't underline it for you in those texts, let's go back to those couple of verses where I underlined the key phrase here. The reason this is so important is because by our very nature, we are not naturally grateful. We are not naturally grateful. And Paul says, I have learned I have learned to be content. What is that? That's a training. I have learned. I have grown. I have understood. I have learned what it means. I've learned to give praise. I've learned to be thankful. You see, folks, we must learn this virtue. We must learn how to give praise and thanks. We must learn to wake up and hit the alarm and say, Thank you, God, for another day. Rather than hitting that alarm saying, oh, not another day. This has been something that, it's the little things that God does in our life that remind us. And again, I'm telling you this because he's been preaching to me all week, this sermon. I, I have a new, a new uh, routine that I'm trying out personally in my own life. I'm trying to do it for myself and to be a better better person physically and, and just mentally and be more sharp and during the day. And so I've started setting my alarm a little bit earlier in the day to do some things that I want to do, get done before I come to work. And my body is becoming aware of that. And so I started to wake up about five minutes before my alarm goes off. Normally people love that. I hate it. Like, why couldn't I sleep for five minutes longer? That alarm will wake me up. It does it every day. I know that it's going to go off. And yet I'm awake and I'm ready to go. Yet I sit there and I'm like, I have been ungrateful. I will admit it to you. What if we woke up and we've learned to say, God, thank you for that extra five minutes. So guess what happened today? I was up a little bit too late last night. I was a little tired. My alarm goes off at 6.25 on Sunday mornings. BJ woke up 6.20, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And I knew I was coming here to tell you this. 
So guess how I woke up this morning? Thank you, God, for another day. I can't wait to go worship you today. You know, we have to learn this. We have to train ourselves. We have to learn to turn every blessing into praise. You see, our, our perspective makes a difference. Our perspective makes a dinner difference. I want to close with this story. What we see with our eyes is what we think we can be grateful and ungrateful for. Let me give you an example. We Again, I've shared with my kids, I share about my kids probably too much, and so I apologize to them regularly for that. But one of the things that happens when you have lots of kids or more than one kid, even one kid, if you have any kids, it doesn't matter how many kids you have, it changes your perspective on life. You go on a vacation, a nice trip away with your family, and I'm telling you there's times where I'm like, I can't relax and enjoy it because I'm wondering, where are the kids? What are they doing? Are they taken care of? Are they being good? Are they embarrassing me? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? And so we worry about it, but we're on vacation. We're supposed to be enjoying it. Well, one such story happened. We were out in Kansas City. Our kids were little. We had a small group gathering at a, at a community pool of one of our small group families. Should be a great time, right? Our kids, we got their, their floaties on, and they're with their friends, and we're with our friends, and lots of food, and lots of fun, and we're having a good time, but there you are as a good parent. It's like, one, two, three, yep, one, two, you know what I'm talking about. You just start head counting everybody. So you're kind of tense, you're kind of not, well, the whole day had ended, we're trying to gather everything up. That's even more stressful. Trying to get the kids out of the pool, get them dried off, they're, they're, too young at this point to do it all on their own, so we're trying to help them. We're gathering our food. We're trying to get loaded up in the car. I've got my hands full. we got our wagon full. Alicia's got her hands full. And then we start looking around with Ian, Emma, and I'm holding Elliot's floaties. Where's Elliot? We start looking around. Where's Elliot? I've got his floaties. So if he's in that water, this is not good. And I look over in the corner of my eye, I see him on the top of the slide, about to go down into the water. Boom, I hit that water like an Olympic swimmer. He was having the time of his life. He came down, hit that water. His eyes are so bright as he hit that water because he didn't have his floaties on. He's underwater and I could just see his face staring at me as I grabbed him and I held him and I said, I've got you. Perspective changes things. No longer was I worried about gathering a wagon full of stuff. I was thankful that I had my son in my arms. I wasn't worried about how bad that burger was burnt. I was glad that I had the opportunity to hold my son again. You see, our perspective changes things. What changed? Nothing really changed except that I was able to be grateful that my kids and my friends that cared about us were there. So think about that in our own life. Are we tired of the things that we have? Are you still driving that 25-year-old car to work and it's smoking and sputtering and you're like, man, I wish I had more? Why can't we be thankful that we have a car? If you have a car to drive, did you realize you're in the top 3% of the entire world in wealth? 
Wow, we have a car to drive. Well, I'm just so tired. Every time I come home, this house is a mess. It's filthy. There's stuff everywhere. God, I'm so thankful that you gave me a family that makes things messy. I'm so glad that you've given me this house. This house is so small. We don't have enough space. There's not enough bedrooms. i got three kids sleeping with me every night. Oh, God, I'm so thankful we have air conditioning and blankets and a heater. You see, our perspective matters. Man, I wish my boss was different. He just harps on me all the time, and, and she won't let me go on break when I want to go on break. She won't let me go to, to McDonald's, and when I do, I have to wait in line and all this stuff. It's just, I wish I had a better job. Be thankful you have a job. You know, that illustration used to work better, but it still does now. If you didn't have a job, you'd be bored. I know, I talked to some of you that are retired, and you're like, man, I wish I could go back to work. McDonald's is hiring. Maybe you get your burger faster. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. We have a job. We have a God that provides for us. <laughs> Boy, COVID's really changed church. I wish our church could go back to the good old days. Boy, I'm so glad I have a place to worship. I'm so glad I get to come in with all these people that want to be here. So here's our homework for today. Maybe you have an ungrateful mindset. Ask yourself, what can I wait on rather than having it now? What can I wait on rather than having it now? If you are feeling you need more, then maybe your homework is you need to confess that to God. God, help me to be content. Help me to learn to be content in all things. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back up. We're going to sing a song of response in just a minute. Here's your last piece of homework. Homework sounds like a bad thing, but it's a good thing because it helps you to apply what you've learned from God's Word. Amen? Sunday school homework, Sunday homework is the best kind of homework because it helps us Monday through Saturday to say, God, I'm thankful that you've taught me how to learn to be grateful. So here's the last piece of homework. List out your blessings. Turn every blessing you have and turn it into praise. Write it down. God, I'm thankful. This isn't true for me, so don't go say this. I'm thankful that this meal was burnt tonight and my wife and my husband just didn't really do a good job. I'm thankful that I had food to eat, amen? I don't go without. Oh, this house is a mess. I'm so thankful I've got kids that bring life to my home. I'm so thankful for the blessings. List out your blessings. There's an old song, we're not going to sing it today. It says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. He's done it, hasn't he? Amen. We're going to sing this song that we talked about, I think. Is that the song we're singing, Cleve? Okay. Blessed be your name. We're going to sing this. I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing this song as a benediction. As a response, sing this out with your heart. God, we thank you for this day. I thank you, God, that your presence is real. 
that your word is sharp and it's active, and that as we open your word and we get into it every single day, it will change our lives. God, help us to learn the virtue of gratitude. Help us to count our blessings today and every day and turn every blessing into praise. God, help us to be like the one leper who came back and gave you praise. We love you and we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this together.